The scripture reading this morning comes from 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. There was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, and Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Panina. And Panina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Panina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion, because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard, regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all along, I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Good morning. Special thanks to Joyce and Gina who did the scripture reading at 9 a.m. It's uh, challenging to say all those names, especially a longer passage in the Old Testament, but thank you for doing that. Thank you for practicing as well. Uh, it's good to be back. I was away last week. I stayed overnight uh, at a wedding. So glad to see our newlyweds here, nicely tan. We could celebrate with them, and uh, if it's your first time here for 11 a.m. service, I just want to welcome you to our church, and uh, let's get right into it. So I wanted to ask you, what do you do? Have you ever been met with a situation that was so stressful that it led you to such anxiety and anguish that you literally didn't know where to turn or what to do in the moment? The scenario was literally out of your hands, and you could do nothing to change the outcome of the situation. If you are like me, this has led you to the only solution that you can find to be the most accessible in the moment, to pray. Oftentimes though, 
This is my last resort when I am faced with a problem. And we go to God in hopes that something, anything, will relieve us from the feeling that we have and the situation that we may be in. And we cry desperately to God. Sometimes, though, something cannot be resolved in one day, but you got to go to sleep. And so it lingers overnight as the stress keeps you up as you're tossing and turning and it persists into the next day. Days turn into weeks, weeks turn into months, and then it's been years. So what do you do? A prayer that I've said quite often is, Lord, just get me through this day. That's what I'm saying this morning as I'm, I will be dog-sitting for a couple friends. And uh, the particular dog I'm dog-sitting is very needy. And so it sleeps with me, and it woke me up at 12, again at 1 a.m., again at 3 a.m., to making weird noises as I look upon it as it's tossing and turning, having nightmares. And the entire time as I'm awake, I'm just thinking, what in the world does a dog have to be stressed about? So my cry this morning is, Lord, give me energy for today. Maybe you have tried to bargain with God. The prayer that I've said quite often, Lord, if you do this for me just once, if you resolve this issue, I promise I'll never do this thing again. Or I promise I will forever be indebted to you. In our passage this morning, we see a woman pleading and bargaining with God, and God hears her prayers. And so this is my main point for today, is that the Lord hears the desperate cries of the brokenhearted, and we can find comfort in his provision. I have three subheadings for you this morning. The first is the onslaught of heartache. The second is the desperate plea. And the third, we can find comfort in his provision. So the onslaught of heartache, what comes to your mind when you think about the book of 1 Samuel? Maybe it is who is named after, the prophet Samuel, or maybe it is King Saul, the first king of Israel, or his son Jonathan, or maybe it is King David. What's remarkable, though, is that there are stories such as our passage this morning that serve as setups to these more famous stories, these more notable characters but here in the Bible, we can find the most beautiful and powerful yet overlooked stories, and this is one of them. When I stumbled across it, it was replete with so many great applications and lessons. And you could think of this story not as an intro, maybe not even an intro to an intro, but it is the intro to the intro to the intro. And see that we hear a man called Elkanah, Elkanah. He is from Ramathane Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim, the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth, and Ephrathite. All very boring information because all of this is basically telling us that he is from nowhere important. He's a nobody. He's an everyday kind of fellow. But by all accounts, it seems that he is a good man as he regularly makes his way to the temple of the Lord. But he had two wives. Oh, now it's getting interesting. Already, we're not off to a good start. And he would make household sacrifices. As one of his wives had children, her name was Panina. Every time I say that, I'm tempted to say Panini, but it's Panina. 
And the other, her name was Hannah. And to Hannah, he gave a double portion of the sacrifices. Unknowingly, Elkanah is creating tension in his household. And Hannah faces the very real problem of being barren. She is unable to be with child. And I want to remain very sensitive to the fact that maybe barrenness hits home for us this morning. It could be a literal barrenness, or it could be a barrenness of hope. What is it like to be without hope? Well, you are without anything to look forward to as you face disappointment after disappointment. Maybe say something that you've said about yourself is, is there something wrong with me? This is something that I've asked being single in my 30s. What is it like to receive heartache after heartache? Maybe you've suffered injury after injury. When you were young, playing basketball, you would drive into the paint fearlessly, but you sprain your ankle enough times and you think, mm, I'm not going to go in for a layup. I'm going to just stay out on the perimeter. You shrink a little bit more after rejection. Another job application turned down, and your attitude is, of course, something like this always happens to me. You are without hope. And not only are you struggling internally, but the outward circumstances are hindering you as well. You have your rivals, you have your haters, you have your hecklers. Elkanah's other wife, Panina, clearly, she sees that her husband has a favored wife because he gave double portions to Hannah. And it says her rival used to provoke her, to irritate her. And this went on year by year, as often as they went up to the house of the Lord. As they are making their way to church, she is irritating Hannah. You ever meet those people who only point out the flaws in your life? They have no hard time pointing out your mistakes, or your pains, or your hurts. And you just keep taking those verbal punches over and over again until they pummel you into the ground where you have lost all self-esteem and self-confidence. These went on year by year for Hannah. There's the saying that says, time heals all wounds. I don't agree. Sometimes time makes things worse. And she is just so distressed that she would not eat. I don't know about you, but I need to be in a pretty bad mood to not want to eat. Surely Hannah, though, would find security in the person closest to her, in her husband. And Elkan, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? Brothers and sisters, I'm not even married, and I know this is not what you say to your spouse in a moment of vulnerability. What he should have said is, are you not more to me than 10 sons. Oftentimes, the deepest cuts are inflicted by those closest to us. Hannah cannot find comfort in her own body. She cannot find comfort in her rival. She can't even find comfort in her own husband. So what is she to do? She turns to the Lord, her last resort, and she cries a desperate plea. She was speaking in her heart, and only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. What does a plea look like? I don't know about you, but when I plead, I scream in the privacy of my closet. But Hannah was so quiet. 
she was in such deep anguish, she had an internal and spiritual cry. But on the outside, it didn't look like anything was wrong. Just because you don't see somebody verbalize or yelling something doesn't mean that they are not going through something. There are those who suffer silently and act as if everything is okay. And they smile with a suffering in their heart just to minimize the damage. Hannah is distressed. She prays to the Lord. She whips bitterly and she vowed a vow saying, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look upon the affliction of me, remember me, but will give to me a servant, a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of my life. Hannah's plea can be categorized as one or all of these, and there's different levels to pleas and petitions, and it's not limited to these, but let's just say there's three. You have a serious or immediate concern. It could be a health scare. It can be an emergency, a car accident. Or you could have long bouts of reoccurring issues. Maybe it's spiritual darkness. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's financial burden and debt. Or you can have your small everyday concerns. Let me just get through traffic today on 66. Let me pass this exam. And if you live long enough on this earth, you know heartache. And you know that we have all expressed it to the Lord at one point. Maybe you're a parent of teenagers, and your cry is for them to know the Lord. Or your parents are unbelievers, or your siblings do not know God, and your desperate cry is for them to turn to him. You have had long bouts of depression, anxiety, health struggle, financial debt, and you can't find a relief because it has been multiple seasons of heartache for you. Or you are a five-year-old, and you really want a donut, but you can't have it, so you desperately plead to your parents, Mom, Dad, can I have a donut? Before you chuckle, know that you and I are not very different from having the cries of a five-year-old. Speaking of donuts, what is a desperate plea? It is something that has been received after years of heartache. So if you don't know this about me, I don't regularly put reviews for things. I've never reviewed anything on Yelp, nothing of that sort. And I wouldn't do you justice because I shared this story with 9 a.m., so I will at 11 a.m. Who cares that it's live stream? <clears throat> so somebody asked me for the church address. I didn't know it by heart, so I looked it up on Google Maps, and I copied the address, and I gave it to them. And I couldn't help but notice as I'm looking at our address on Google Maps, our church has reviews. We have 4.3 star reviews. And so curiosity sets in, and I'm like, okay, let's just see these reviews. And they're, most of them are ridiculous. You know, all of them are five stars saying, this is the best church in Nova. You know, I, I would go here. You know, you have to get to know people. The, my personal favorite by one of our current members, he said, wow. <laughs> Says enough, doesn't it? And you might be wondering, why is it 4.3? Because there was one one-star review by a visitor and said, I wasn't welcomed by the welcoming team, but I will pray for this church. Um, I didn't have the best experience. And so I'm curious to know who this guy is. So, you know, I tap on his things. And he is a one-star guy. McDonald's. The burgers 
dirty and dry. If you want something like that, go here. Subway, one star. All, Yechon, one star. Korean food is very disappointing. So he's a one star guy. I, I say all this because I don't usually put in reviews. I'm, I've worked in the food industry before. I know how hard it is, so I have a special compartment of grace, you could say. But you have your limits. And so during the pandemic, if you didn't know, one of my responsibilities was I am going to get donuts for the church. So from pandemic to the early uh, portion of last year, I went to Dunkin' Donuts every morning. And there was a point in time where I had to sever ties with them, and I didn't feel good about it. It was sitting deeply in my heart, so I said, I'm going to write a review to them to help them get better. Because that's what we're trying to do, right? Get better. Uh, I apologize for how lengthy it is. I shortened it a little bit, but this is what I wrote. I said, Dear Dunkin' Donuts, I am writing to you today with all civility. I can say this because my actions have spoken far louder than my words. Now, you may be asking, what do I mean? Well, I have been faithfully coming to this same location in University Mall in Fairfax, Virginia. Here is a very important detail. University Mall, Fairfax, Virginia. Since the beginning of the pandemic, we are at a two-year juncture now with our history, and being devoted to you has been quite the challenge, almost what I'd imagine marriage to be like, but I wouldn't know because I'm not married. I have only asked for me one thing, to be ready Saturday, Sunday morning with a box of Joe and two dozen donuts. But you have repeatedly forgotten my order. Sometimes you don't have a box for the box of Joe, and you give me 10 individual cups the equivalent of a box of Joe, if you didn't know. Or sometimes you don't have a box for the donuts and you just give them to me in bags. But more often than not, you forget my order. So what do I do with you? I have ordered 40 minutes ahead of time and come to find that my order has not been started, which leads me to wait 15 extra minutes. Throughout the seasons of winter, summer, I have come to get donuts from you, but I have found something to be very interesting. To be faithful to someone is necessary and it is hard, but there are also times where you just got to cut ties and say, it's not working out. Like I said earlier in this email, I have never been verbal about my disappointment, although I've seen plenty of people do that. It may be due to the plethora of management changes that go on at this location. For that, I'm sorry, and I apologize for my behavior and my final transaction with you. When you were 50 minutes late, I exacerbated, you got to be kidding me, in a still, silent voice. Don't worry, no one heard me, but I did, and so did God. So, I ask you that you would forgive me, and I'm repentant from my grumbling heart. All this to say, I have peace because I was finally able to express to you what I feel. I only ask that you get it together for the other people who would travel through your doors. For what it's worth, our church loved your donuts and helped bring us closer. Many of the kids at church simply know me as the donut guy, and for that, I'm honored. Thanks for reading this. You're probably wondering, did they respond? How did they respond? They did. And here is how they responded. We are sorry that you are so displeased 
with our service at our Herndon location. <laughs> and that's when I just stopped reading. I said, I'm done with you forever, forever. They did not hear my plea because Dunkin' Donuts doesn't know me. They don't care about me. But thanks be to the Lord that we don't have to send him petitions and complaints and surveys and emails. And if we did, he doesn't send them to a spam folder. To him, they are priority number one. The Lord hears my plea. He does not mistake in my location, my identity. In fact, he knows me by name. Hannah does not find comfort in her body, her rival, even her own husband, but she does in the Lord. The only place where true comfort can come from, and comfort comes from being heard and known. One of my favorite passages in Exodus is before Moses is born. But it says, during those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. It is one thing to be heard by God, but to be known by God, that is the greatest gift. It is the greatest blessing. And we can know this because the opposite is to not be known by God. That is the greatest curse. And that is what is said of those in Matthew 7, when they all stand before the throne and say, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do miraculous signs? And God will say to them, I never knew you. A great curse it is indeed, but the opposite, greatest blessing. J.I. Packer writes in his famous book, Knowing God, what matters supremely, therefore, is not, the, is not in the last analysis the fact that I know God, but the larger fact, the fact that he knows me. I am graven on the palm of his hands. I am never out of his mind. All my knowledge of him depends on his sustained initiative and in knowing me. I know him because he first knows me and continues to know me. He knows me as a friend one who loves me, and there is no moment when his eye is off of me or his attention distracted from me, and no moment, therefore, when his care falters. This is momentous knowledge. And so the Lord provides comfort. At the end of our passage, Hannah's situation is left unresolved, but she goes away in peace after she speaks with the prophet Eli. Her situation actually has not changed but her outlook has. And so what does she know that we don't? You know, maybe you're thinking, okay, I get it, that's cool, but what does it do for me now? As I'm still in my moment of suffering, could you just give me some insight? And I want to say to you, brother and sister, I get it. I get it. Consider this, friends. How does God provide comfort? He hears you, and he knows you. He hears you, and he answers your yes, no, or my personal favorite, not yet. 
And he has answered all of these through his son. As Jesus was praying the high priestly prayer that we would be one as he is one, he answered with a resounding yes. As he stood forsaken on the cross, as the cup of wrath was not being passed from him, he answered no. And to the kingdom of heaven being fully realized, not yet. He hears you and he knows you. He provides comfort through his provision of empathy. In my prayers of anguish, many times have I said, Jesus, you don't know what it's like. You don't know what it's like to face disappointment after disappointment. You don't know what it's like to be homeless, to be poor, to be betrayed by your closest friends. You don't know what it's like to be abused or mistreated, humiliated. You don't know what it's like to be abandoned in your most vulnerable time. You don't know what it's like to have a beloved friend die. You don't know what it's like to weep. How wrong I am. He knows all of these things as fully God and fully man. And he knows and that is what makes him God. And he sits upon the throne and pleads for us. So our application this morning is that when we are first knowing that we are comforted, we can comfort other people. And our call is to hear people, and our call is to know people. You know, it's the greatest comfort sometimes when you know when you are heard, when people hear you out. And oftentimes the greatest and overlooked gift is being able to be quick to listen. And for not many of us, but for all of us, we can grow in learning how to listen. Learning when and how it is appropriate to speak into someone's life, discerning between what is worldly advice and godly wisdom as they are opposed to each other. Godly wisdom is peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, impartial, and sincere. And for those of us who have experienced, given, or received worldly advice, we know. You know, there are those people that aren't really listening to you, but are just merely waiting to say something. These are the ones quick to speak and say, I remember when I did this, or I remember my experience, and the attention is diverted back to themselves. And then there are those that just look at us listening, looking like they're listening, but they're just lost in thought and just go, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing's really going on in their mind. And then there are those who listen well and process well what you have to say. Better yet, they know exactly what you're going through, and they're there for you. If you don't know what this looks like, I think about, uh, I think about PJ. I think about Pastor Jacob. I think he's somebody that listens very well. If you've ever talked with him, you can tell. There's nothing else going on but you in that moment. And I think his influence speaks loudly even when he's not here. Because I can see Daphne in the background. So. But that's when you know you're doing good ministry. When it's lasting and you don't have to be present. So our call is to hear people. Our call is to know people. 
Nothing speaks louder than going through the same hurt as somebody, and you don't even have to say anything to them. They just understand you. They get you. After much listening, they respond, sober, discerning, godly wisdom. And these are the opportunities where the Lord builds up the body, which is the church. These are the people we need to be. In 2 Corinthians, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. If you're suffering, know that hardship is hard and necessary, but it builds humility, and humility is essential to understanding God's heart and his character, and equally important, other people. Our capacity for hurt allows us to have a greater depth to be able to speak into others' lives when they go through a similar struggle. Because how many of us would stand here to say that on our best days, we experience the fullness of God? Isn't it true that on the worst days, where we experience the fullness of God in our lives, when you have to depend on him and rely on him, And to specifically encourage you and comfort you, especially those of us, brother or sister, who are serving, keep pressing on. I was reminded of this as I had dinner with a brother this past week. And that's really the context for how we can hear people and listen to people. It's over a meal. And he asked me, how are you doing? I'm sure you've asked that, been asked that a lot. And your usual response is, oh, work's been good, you know, so-and-so, this has been happening. But it's usually work-orientated. And he said, no, how are you doing? And that's when I began to open up and share how hard ministry is. And he began to empathize with me, as I knew, for him, ministry is also hard. And we began to reminisce about our church's 50th anniversary, which was a few years back, and we had a guest speaker, Pastor John Chow from ODPC, share. And he gave one of the lines that I'll never forget that I've never heard another preacher say. And he said, we need to be a bridge for people to Christ. And in order to be a bridge for people, occasionally, you need to be stepped on. Not a very glamorous picture of ministry, but it is so true. And as a man who stands here with many footprints on himself, it's okay to be occasionally stepped on. And I want to stand here and encourage you that we can endure together because we can comfort one another with the comfort that God gives to us. A song I have been listening to almost every day now for the past few months comes from an old hymn written by a man, Bill Gaither. It's very simple lyrics, but he said, God sent his son. They called him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive 
He bled and died to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. And because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. All life is worth the living just because he lives. Church, know that he hears you and he knows you. Let's pray. Father of all mercies and God of all comforts. Sometimes that's even weird to say as we see you as a God who is righteous and just. But you are a God who is merciful, gracious, comforting. And we pray that this morning we would be able to remind ourselves of that truth and come to you raw, desperate, pleading to you, knowing that you hear us. We don't have to go through any medium. We don't have to go through any middleman or any priest. But we have direct access to you because of your son, Jesus, who is the only way, the truth, and the life. And we can have confidence to say that even as we pray now, you hear us and know us today. Father, I don't know what everyone is struggling with. I'm sure everyone is going through their own heartache and trial and tribulation. And you know the hearts of each of us so specifically, so meticulously. And won't you speak into our hearts and remind us that you hear us and you know us. Thank you for sending your son. As we are reminded, because he lives, we can face tomorrow. Help us in our time this morning as we respond with worship and praise. Lifted up to you, God, who is always holy, who is always love. Thank you for everything you've done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.